This is Three People in Your Head, a podcast about getting the best out of yourself and others. Sponsored by the International Transactional Analysis Association and the European Association for Transactional Analysis. This episode is the first audio version of the Eric Byrne Memorial articles from the Transactional Analysis Journal. We plan to publish two a year as part of our sponsorship agreement. Trudy Newton received the 2023 Eric Byrne Memorial Award for her work in establishing a new meta-perspective that reframes transactional analysis as positive psychology. The article cited in the nomination, which you're about to hear read by Trudy herself, is The Health System, Metaphor and Meaning from the July 2007 Transactional Analysis Journal. Trudy's paper is an exhortation to all of us to engage in a kind of ongoing, groundbreaking process of theoretical evolution through practice, reflecting the spirit of the early pioneers in TA theory. You can view the diagrams that Trudy references on our website by clicking the link in the show notes. There is also a link to Trudy's acceptance speech, which can be found on YouTube. The conceptual basis of metaphor is a starting point for considering the relationship between familiar TA models and the avowed TA philosophy of I'm okay, you're okay, and they're okay. Identifying some of the incongruities embedded in TA language and diagrams offers an opportunity for a fresh perspective that integrates some less well-known TA ideas, many of which were developed by educational and organisational practitioners. A new systemic model is described that focuses on the contribution TA can make to describing and enabling an understanding of what is involved in healthy developmental process, including growth, learning, thriving, and emotional literacy. This model is derived from an idea developed by Julie Hewson in 1990, and it identifies concepts from early and more recent TA analysis literature that image the supporting of healthy development. It includes preventive and restorative cycles. The intention of this article is to stimulate readers to explore and discuss the notion of developmental transactional analysis and to involve everyone in a co-creative process as transactional analysis designers. So let's tell the story a different way. In the Penelope ad, Margaret Atwood in 2005 retells the story of the Odyssey from the point of view of Penelope, the quintessential faithful wife at home. Much is revealed about what went on in Ithaca while Odysseus roamed the oceans. How Penelope maintained the kingdom in good order for 20 years, managed the persistence of her suitors, brought up her son, resisted the demands of her mother-in-law, and cared for her staff. A very different story indeed from the one that has Penelope weaving at her loom all day and undoing her day's work each night. In this article, I want to tell the transactional analysis story in a different way. This is not a scientific article. It's an invitation to everyone seriously involved in TA to look beyond familiar language and assumptions and to take time to think about what we are really about and where we are going. TA is a system of metaphors with a highly metaphorical language. 
the collection of metaphors that don't quite fit together, to quote a recent conference participant. We use words such as stroke, game, script, transaction, and discount. We tell stories such as the cowpoke story from Duse, 1971, the splinter analogy, Burn, 1971, Burns' rejection of the psychoanalytic profession from Stewart, 1992, and the Model T Ford from Crossman, 2005. We draw on models such as disease, diagnosis, cure, and closed systems. A prime example is the turning of metaphor into story and story into life script, inhabited by characters that are important for us. See Newton, 2006. In 1990, Laurier wrote an article on the reification of metaphor in TA, in which he emphasised the importance of discovering the epistemology of transactional analysis. He declared that TA has bound itself much too tightly to visual metaphors. The development of this theme over the last 15 years would make an interesting study. Steiner in 2003, for instance, pointed out the essential metaphorical nature of the ego state model and the need to separate this nature and its usefulness from both practice and research. As interesting as all this is, it's not my purpose here. I want to stay with the metaphors of TA as such and explore what we can learn from them as metaphors about the nature and practice of TA. I do not even want to debate whether TA concepts are metaphors or realities. Instead, I want to focus on the use and power of metaphor. So what is metaphor? All metaphors are based in our everyday human experience. In his writing on the contemporary theory of metaphor, Lakoff in 1992 says, The locus of metaphor is not in language at all, but in the way we conceptualise one mental domain in terms of another. Summarising Lakoff's influential work, Veal suggests that our understanding of metaphor has moved from that of a superficial rhetorical device that decorates our speech to the status of a deep, cognitively realised agency that organises our thoughts, shapes our judgments and structures our language. Metaphor is shown to pervade, indeed saturate, our everyday non-rhetorical language. A lot of what is real in the society, or in the experience of an individual, is structured and made sense of via conventional metaphor. This view of metaphor has now become accepted in linguistics. Deutscher in 2006 notes, for instance, that metaphors are everywhere, not only in language, but also in our mind, an indispensable element in the thought processes of every one of us. Metaphor is the chief mechanism through which we can describe and even grasp abstraction. Metaphors form the basis of our psychological constructs, the means by which we process and integrate new information. Again from Veal, Lakoff's central thesis is that metaphors facilitate thought by providing an experiential framework in which newly acquired abstract concepts may be accommodated. The network of metaphors that underlie thought in this way form a cognitive map a web of concepts organised in terms which serve to ground abstract concepts in the cognitive agent's physical experience.
and in the agent's relation to the external world, TA can be said to offer such a cognitive map. Teaching TA ideas to newcomers can be an awesome experience, as we witness, yet again, the way that people recognise, relate to and integrate the models for themselves. These models present everyone with a new means with which to conceptualise their lived experience, to articulate conflicts, empathy, inspiration, emotions, and all their inchoate sense or intuition about their relationships and quotidian encounters. Through the coherence of the models and the connections they can make with them, often within a few minutes of being introduced to a concept, people are able to structure and make sense of their experience. Being such a strongly visual system is an important part of the amazing power and accessibility of transactional analysis. Its metaphors are presented in pictures as well as words. To give an illustration, one generation's realisations of metaphor can become part of the next generation's experiential basis for that metaphor. That's only 1997. So here's a story. Chris's teachers thought she was disruptive, suffered from a conduct disorder, and was generally dysfunctional. She was often sent out of class. In staff room talk, she was portrayed as difficult for the teachers to deal with and uncooperative in attempts to help her, a challenging pupil to say the least. After making a good deal of effort to accommodate her behaviour and seeing that she made no attempt to change, the school decided she should be excluded. So Chrissy decided that she would bunk off, or play truant, anyway, when the exclusion term was over. Her mum had her own problems and did not seem to care. Chrissy's dad had left years before and she never saw him. After several meetings at which Chrissy was asked her view of her own behaviour, although nobody listened to her answers, she found herself in a special unit. There she met her fairy godmother. It was this woman who gave Chrissy a golden key, a key that would unlock not just one door, but many. Big steel doors that you would think you couldn't break down. Doors to beautiful sunny gardens. Doors that opened onto roads and pathways that invited you to follow them to exciting places. This key was a strange shape. It looked more like a keyhole, but with three rings. Chrissy took the key and used it everywhere she went. At first, it took some practice to get it to fit so that she could open whatever door was in front of her, but soon she learnt what made the key work. At school, with mum and her brother and sister, even with her friends. Then a strange thing happened. It was as if the golden key became part of her. Most of the time, she didn't need to think about using it. She could do it without thinking, and it worked even better. Time passed. Chrissy grew up met a handsome prince, married him, had babies. As the babies were getting bigger, she got together with some other mums to join a group in which they could learn stuff about bringing up their kids. And one day, when she was sitting at the back listening to the talk, she saw her golden key being shown to everyone in the group. She was astonished, although much too shy to say anything in front of the others. But later she stayed on after her friends left and spoke to the tutor. Those three circles, she told him, changed my life. Why am I telling you this story? 
You may have read it in the light of some common but probably unrecognised metaphors. Life and learning is a struggle. Understanding is a gift. Both are examples of conventional metaphors with which we map from one domain of experience to another. And the story is told from a basis of belief in the accessibility and empowering nature of transactional analysis, even at a very simple level. This affects not only how it is told, but how it will be heard. So whose story is it? Chrissy is not her real name, of course, but the story is essentially true. It was told to me by the parents' group tutor after it was told to him by Chrissy as part of her personal narrative. But of course I have embellished it. The name I chose has meaning for me. It's that of a fictional character who had an edge just as I think the protagonist of this story has in real life. And I have metaphorised it into a fairy tale. So is this story mine, or Chris's, or the tutor's, or yours? And does it matter? It matters only in that, while it remains a story, it can be added to, passed on, or changed. If I turn it into a novel, or even a short story, and publish it, the story then becomes mine through copyright. It becomes the authoritative version that cannot be changed without my consent, even though it's a story about someone else. Sometimes we do this with TA ideas. We make them authoritative, right or wrong, true or false. Instead, let's do some storytelling and enjoy the way that an idea can evolve, grow and develop through the responses of its hearers, all of whom bring their own personal perception to enrich the mix. The script matrix, an evolving metaphor. A major component of the human cognitive map is what Lakoff terms a cognitive topology, which is essentially a mechanism by which we impose structure on space in a way that gives rise to spatial inferences. The cognitive agent is itself an essential player in this organisation. Abstract thoughts are not structured in terms of objective spatio-physical properties of the world, but in terms of subjective egocentric properties that the agent projects onto the world via his or her cognitive map. One of the outcomes of the experiential basis of metaphor is that we unconsciously hold certain ideas, such as up is better than down, that's from Lakoff in 1992, where he suggests some common metaphors that have become so much part of our everyday experience and that are also so grounded in our experience that we're rarely aware of them. One such metaphor is more is up. Based on our observations that, for instance, when we pile things on top of each other, the pile gets higher, we transfer this idea to such visual information as graphs and into our language. The stock market is up, she was in low spirits, and so on. The image has gained an independent existence. And through our cultural artefacts, it even shapes the world around us. This up-down metaphor is exemplified in the traditional script matrix, from Byrne in 1972 and Steiner in 1974. The diagrams show the relative power and status of parents up, and the child's relative weakness down. As a diagram, it becomes loaded with cultural meaning. 
In The Seven Sources of Power, in 1987, Steiner remarks that the subject of power was not part of his thinking as a psychotherapist until after he had developed the script matrix. Later, he came to see that the diagram was more than just a visual aid to indicate the relevant transactions. It showed the parents above and the child below, thus realistically representing a dimension that goes beyond the transactional into the realm of power or the relative capacity of the players to affect each other. Eventually, he says, he saw beyond the domination of others through power plays to the far more central variable of human power itself. Steiner goes on to suggest that real power is resistance rather than control over others. I think this is still within the somewhat oppositional culture of early TA, which happened for all sorts of reasons, the beginning challenge to authority structures, the emerging hippie culture, and so on. For me, resilience is a better word for okay power. Resilience implies flexibility, a tensile strength that can bend and change while maintaining potency and rigor. Resilience is what we see in physis, which Clarkson, in 1992, described as overcoming the gravity of the script. Gravity could mean seriousness, but here I think Clarkson meant the downward force implied by the script matrix diagram, which needs to be balanced by the upward force of physis. Resilience, or physis, is greater, to extend the metaphor, when it's shared and reciprocated. Quotation from the Bible. A threefold cord is not quickly broken, from Ecclesiastes. As we learn the norms of transactional analysis language, we take on the culture of which they are a part. We acquire a powerful metaphorical system that both offers us a cognitive map and determines how we can use that map to communicate. Something happens that often results in a sense of dissatisfaction that I believe reflects the incongruity between the positive philosophy and the sometimes pathologizing effects of our language and our visual metaphors. We draw attention to deficit rather than strength, and in doing so, we increase the chance that this will happen again. For where attention goes, energy flows. However, this sense of dissatisfaction can lead also to the creation of new diagrams, metaphors, or concepts. More recent ways of diagramming script have a different visual effect. I'm thinking of Cornell, 1988, Hay, 1997, Summers and Tudor, 2000. I've referred elsewhere to the impact of these. Summers and Tudor took up an idea included in Cornell's 1988 article and drew the script matrix on horizontal lines, the two sets of stacked circles on either side representing all female and all male influencing people for the child. The arrows are drawn both ways to indicate that the process of script formation is interactive. They developed this further into a helical script matrix or script helix to include a wide range of influencing people interacting with the growing child, thus representing a co-created series of matrices by which we tell, retell, and reformulate the stories of different influences in our continuing development. 
These diagrams model a co-creative process. The visual impact of each is profound. That's from Newton 2006. Equally impactful is Hayes' 1997 autonomy matrix, which is shown in figures one. This emphasizes the resource and potential of the script formation process, with parent figures supporting and uplifting the child. The diagram goes upwards rather than downwards. The physis or aspiration arrow originally included by Byrne in 1972 on the central set of circles is restored. I have also added arrows for the caregivers. Thus, more recent thinking about script theory is mapped onto an established model, the script matrix. Re-imaging ego states. Summers and Tudor, in 2000, proposed that we can be more flexible in our approach to the most central of transactional analysis models, ego states. They suggest we view the ego state model as a system of relational possibilities and probabilities, as a way of describing co-created personality. An example of doing just this by mapping recent thinking is the cogent and well-argued plea for a reconsideration of the ego state model by Barrow in 2007. He asks, how would things have been different if Byrne had drawn the model the other way up? That is, with the child at the top of the stacked circles and the parent at the bottom. He says, by reversing the parent and child ego states, there is a recognition that in healthy individuals, the parent wisdom, security and surety both ground and uphold the desire to be alive, which is energised in the child ego state and mediated by the adult. It is as if, symbolically, the parent ego state is the solid base from which the hopes and aspirations of the child lift the whole individual. As an educational transactional analyst, I want a model that describes what I seek out with others, one that captures anticipated transformation through in-the-moment action and reflection with an authentic OK-OK regard for one another. The CAP model best symbolizes this. By inverting the metaphor, its growth-provoking potential is more fully revealed. That quotation is from Barrow, 2007. Such reconceptualizing is an instance of transactional design from Summers and Tudor, 2000. It both articulates something that we already sense and offers an opportunity for further new thinking. Drawing models in new ways brings to light new insights and a clearer recognition of something hitherto half-perceived. Many educational practitioners work with systems as well as individuals, and while they may well do crisis intervention and problem-focused work, they also aim to create positive, resilient, resource-based cultures in parent groups, preschool, and formal and informal education. Such interventions will have features that may be missing from clinical work, such as political perspectives, multi-party contracting, and mainstreaming TA analysis as a language for whole communities. An important aspect of this endeavour is that it will be preventive as well as restorative. 
some existing examples are described in the following sections. Healthy development. In 1990, Houston presented a diagram in the ITA News that she called a heuristic systems model of TA. This is shown in figure two. While acknowledging that the concepts included work at different levels of abstraction, she offered it as a creative way of linking the jigsaw pieces together and a way of conceptualizing treatment planning from which it's possible to generate interventions because it shows that treatment can take place from any number of points in the system. Nearly 10 years ago, I began to introduce this model as a guide for educational trainees who were thinking about child development in terms of transactional analysis. We soon found out, while it was useful in itself, the heuristic system was much improved by adding the corresponding positive versions of the models and diagrams that were developed more recently by educational or organizational practitioners who asked, how would it be if things were going right? We also added, rather loosely, the developmental stages as a further aid to thinking about interventions. That's from Clark and Dawson, 1989, and from Pam Levin, 1982. The resulting diagram has been shared with many training groups and workshop participants since then, with further adaptations made as a consequence. This process of updating and development diagram continues. The diagram presented here, which you will see in figure three, represents the current image. It may well be changed further in response to comments and feedback on this article. The effect on group members of seeing this diagram for the first time, or seeing it being gradually built up during a workshop presentation, frequently results in a significant shift in understanding. Putting the positive versions of models alongside the more familiar diagrams suggests an insight that may lead to a reordering of internal constructs. Typically, people may comment, I now see my practice in a different way, or I feel a sense of relief, or satisfaction, or liberation. I propose that we have a real need for such new models and metaphors within our language system to convey the full meaning of our philosophy and practice as transactional analysts. Elsewhere, I've written about this diagram as a background or framework for educational transactional analysis practice. There, I focus on the connections with current work on child development and on the practical application of the cycles in framing educational interventions. For the purposes of this article, I will simply describe the concepts illustrated and how I believe they link together. As I describe the concepts around figure three, I invite readers to look afresh at the meaning conveyed by the familiar terms and familiar diagrams that we use so easily. Consider what is being discounted, both in the images and in the terminology of the traditional models. How are you affected by the possibly less well-known alternatives described? In figure three, Hewson's model forms the central cycle. Numbered items corresponding to the numbered stages in figure two. So as I describe the stages from one to eight, I introduce some alternative concepts that make up the resilience cycle 
which is represented by the outer line. So firstly, the original symbiosis. This term implies a situation in which two organisms are mutually dependent. Technically, in biology, a state in which one cannot exist without the other. In our individuated Western society, this carries highly negative connotations. Willems and Brown, in 1978, proposed normal dependency for the mother-child relationship. We can see this on the diagram at A. We might also look more widely at the network of contacts around mother, a system of helpful interdependence, rather than assuming that the opposite of symbiosis must be autonomy. But the standard Maasai greeting, Caesarian in Gera, means, how are the children, not how are you today? The community's health is inseparable from the well-being of its children. Recently, I attended a workshop where the presenter, a South African, introduced the Zulu word Ubuntu, which can be translated as, I am because you are. Some people in the workshop found this concept too symbiotic, but in many African cultures, this idea is fundamental. Community is valued more than individuality. Ubuntu implies that a person is a person through other people. Ubuntu has its roots in humanist African philosophy, in which the idea of community is one of the building blocks of society. Ubuntu is that nebulous concept of common humanity, oneness, humanity, you and me both. Archbishop Desmond Tutu says that a person with Ubuntu is open and available to others, affirming of others, has a proper self-assurance. The Ubuntu this person possesses comes from being part of a greater whole. I stress this point because I think we need a new model to image interdependence as an alternative to symbiosis in the same way that we have developed new script models to reflect our new thinking. The nearest models to this are, I think, White and White's 1975 therapeutic and educational process in the therapeutic community and a further extension of this by Schotten in 2004 on mentoring in school culture. Another variation is interaction in a healthy faith community from Newton 2004. These are all community-based diagrams. Within figure three, they're summarized by the all transactions item, which you'll see at I. Secondly, the stroking environment, and thirdly, attributions. As parent educators, writing both for parents and professionals who help parents and caregivers, Clark and Dawson in 1989 took the idea of strokes as positive affirmative messages and turned a deficit model from Levin 1982 and Steiner 1974 into a guide to what children need in their various stages of development and what grown-ups need as well. These affirmations are for all ages, from before birth, becoming, to adulthood, interdependence, and old age towards death. They promote health and well-being through positive language. There are no negatives or discounts, and they provide a clear statement 
of what developmental tasks need to be completed in each stage. Because the underlying belief is that we can revisit a stage and get what we might have missed on the first or subsequent time, this is an optimistic model, reassuring for parents, teachers, and everyone concerned with human growth and development. A recent adaptation of Clark and Dawson's ideas makes these affirmations more suitable for use in schools and preschools. That's from Barrow, Bradshaw and Newton, 2001. They support everyone in being themselves and give permission to be who you are, to find your own way of doing things, to get help, to feel what you feel, and so on. Another model based on emotional safety and then on positive reinforcement is Robert's Hierarchy of Functionality. That's cited by Nita Mountain in 2004. The consequent stages are clear communication, productive activity, integration, and celebration. Mountain, renaming Robert's model Concepts for Thriving, suggests that celebration should be part of every stage. Fourthly, frame of reference and life positions. These permissions promote a sense of well-being so that the child's frame of reference, culturally situated as it will be, includes a belief in potential and a positive attitude that can be expanded as information is acquired and sorted. The possibility increases of an I'm okay, you're okay life position becoming the default mode. An important concept here is physis, the urge to life and growth. This has sometimes been a neglected human drive within transactional analysis writing, but was revived by Clarkson in 1992, as mentioned earlier. We can relate it to the idea of resilience as a key factor in a person's ability to regulate emotions and the sense of self and value. Fifthly, life script. I've already discussed models that reflect a view of script as a necessary and not necessarily limiting part of each person's individual need to create meaning for himself or herself in interaction with others. Figure three shows the autonomy matrix from Hay 1997 with physis arrows and a co-creative matrix from Summers and Tudor. So sixthly, personality adaptations. We all make adaptations to social life depending on our script decisions. Clarkson, in 1992, proposed that these are an advantage to be appreciated and maximised. She suggested that the qualities of agreeableness, excellence, endurance, experimentation and speed be respected and fostered as social responses to a web of messages we received about how to survive and thrive regarding how we should help other people, good standards to aim for, ways in which we should be reliable and dependable, the importance of having a go and doing our best, and how to make good use of time. That latter quote is from Napper and Newton, 2000. Similarly, Hay in 1996 emphasises the positive working styles associated with each counterscript driver. Drivers can be strengths that we learn to use to our personal and mutual benefit, for example, in team working and creating positive institutional cultures. Point seven, 
Probably one of the best-known alternative models is the Winner's Triangle from Troy 1990, which takes the drama triangle roles from Cartman 1968 and builds on the 10% okayness or good intention of each to suggest beneficent roles instead. Responsive, vulnerable and potent. Others have suggested positive versions too, and Hay in 1995 proposes turning the triangle onto its base, thus symbolising groundedness and potency in interactions. Barrow overlays the drama triangle with the three-cornered contract from English 1975 to show how clear contracts can prevent game-playing. Ligurnik in 2004 takes these ideas a stage further to present her triangle of social roles, the guide, the helper and the beneficiary. She explains how stories can enable children to choose positive relationship models and so move toward personal growth and autonomy. The child can be the hero of his or her own story, benefiting from the health and direction given by others and learning to offer help and direction to others too. In this reading, healthy social development is set beside the transference drama of the original triangle. Point eight, rackets and the racket system. Following Zalkman's suggestion in 1990 that we need a positive version of the racket system, I maintain that this system is a blocked learning cycle in which new experiences are filtered through negative script beliefs. That's Newton 2006. As children, we also learn good experiences, collecting data and creating our own theories about the world, thus internalising a positive system based on these experiences and reinforced by positive memories of similar experiences. Since both systems are laid down in childhood, we can learn to make the latter our natural custom. Part of this learning system is the practice of empowerment from Clark and Dawson, 1989, or accounting from Temple, 1999 and 2004. By taking account of problems and difficulties, their significance, the options available, and our personal ability to solve them, we build solid experience on which to draw from childhood onwards. Interesting also here is Martin Seligman in 1995, writing about the optimistic child. In addition to these eight stages just described, I've added a transaction diagram to represent the free flow of positive interaction. The functional fluency model from Temple 1999 and 2004 is derived from the ego state model. Its focus, however, is on the movement and flow of behaviour, nine behavioural modes with terms that convey active functioning. Following Clark and Dawson, Temple names positive control as structuring and goes on to name the positive mode of socialisation as cooperation and here and now processing as accounting. The emphasis is on active words, the naming of positive control, positive adaptation and the phrase functional fluency itself convey a dynamism and vigour that's missing from the basic ego state model. The aim is that teachers, by being themselves and transacting in functionally fluent ways in the classroom, 
will foster in pupils the creativity and ingenuity needed to solve problems and encourage a spirit of cooperation and responsibility. I believe this model is significant not only for teachers, classrooms and pupils, but for everyone. I call this complete cycle of optimistic models the resilience cycle. That's the outer ellipse in figure three. Within are two other cycles, the preventive cycle. This first cycle from birth to age seven, or from symbiosis to script formation, offers guidance for parents, caregivers, and really for everyone, on achieving healthy early development, including emotional development. Recognising what is needed means not only aiming to get it right, but also being able to offer appropriate care so that children can fill in the gaps left by home care that may be inadequate for whatever reason. Workshop and training groups have suggested other names for this cycle, such as promotion cycle, cycle for thriving, and physis cycle. Alternative names have sometimes been offered for the whole system too. The tube map, the root finder, the alternative health system. And then secondly, the restorative cycle. While the aim of the preventive cycle is to enable small children to develop in as healthy a way as possible by offering the kind of engaged care that promotes autonomy, interdependence and okayness, the restorative cycle is based on a belief that damage can be repaired and developmental gaps filled. Again, an alternative name has been proposed, the repair cycle. There are strong connections here to recycling, from Pavlev in 1982, hence the spiral shown at the centre at J. However, as well as repair and restoration, this cycle invites us to see each person's idiosyncrasies as positive and resource-based, to focus on what is right rather than on what is wrong, to stroke constructive decisions, cooperation, self-determination, and the accounting of authentic response. The names of positive models, such as affirmations, working styles, winner's triangle, as well as diagrams themselves, reinforce this encouraging perspective. The metaphors of transactional analysis are a part of both its appeal and its downfall. With a sometimes pathologizing language alongside a hopeful philosophy, what do we want to convey? In his marvellous musical about stories and storytelling into the woods, Stephen Sondheim in 1987 has a character ask, is it always or, is it never and? And continue, when you've had an and and you're back to all, then the or means more than it did before. TA is both a psychology for promoting healthy development and a healing system. As transactional analysis designers, we can become aware of the metaphors we use and the metaphors we want to use to support our strong, radical, life-changing and world-changing philosophy. We can facilitate individual personal change through both the internal and the external process. The social level of intervention is where we encourage and enable social change that affects the social environment, the framework that determines expectations and responsibilities. New flavours of transactional analysis are emerging. 
That's from Alan, 2005. One of them is a positive psychology approach that, through studying positive human traits, will achieve a scientific understanding and effective interventions to build thriving individuals, families and communities and enable us to learn how to build the qualities that help individuals and communities not just endure and survive, but also flourish. As always, if you found anything in today's episode interesting, please feel free to reach out. You can visit our website, which has lots of information and resources, transactionalanalysispodcast.com. You can connect with us on all major platforms, such as Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And you can email us at info at transactionalanalysispodcast.com. If you aren't already, please follow us wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening. This episode is sponsored by the International Transactional Analysis Association. You can find out more information on the ITAA at www.itaaworld.org forward slash ITAA hyphen membership hyphen benefits and the European Association for Transactional Analysis. You can find more information on EATA at www.eatanews.org. Thank you.